0: Sunday. And this is the story so far. When you look at the biblical account of um, Jesus entering into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, it's one of the few accounts that's found in all four of the Gospels. Um, So what I've got is all four of the Gospels mixed up together to give the account in its fullest. Um, There's lots of scripture references. I'm not going to bother reading them out because this morning all I want you to do is to listen. I just want you to listen. You know the story. You can go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can read the accounts by those authors who firsthand experienced or did the research. This is truth, so we're just going to read the story together. We're just going to absorb this this morning together. Jesus had been ministering tirelessly, and amongst other things, he had healed the blind, he had cured lepers, he'd eaten dinner with tax collectors he taught about being the good shepherd. He'd revealed to his disciples for the third time that he would soon be crucified. And in Bethany, a town just two miles east of Jerusalem, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. A large crowd had gathered for Lazarus' funeral. They'd witnessed their friend's awe-inspiring resurrection. They could not keep quiet about this event. They turned to their homes and spread the word all over Bethany, and their neighboring towns and villages, until soon the report of Jesus' astonishing miracle had reached the ears of every person in the region. As thousands of people began to swarm to Jerusalem in preparation for the Passover, the story of Lazarus' resurrection spread even further, and Jesus becomes the hot topic of conversation amongst the masses. They look for him all over Jerusalem and ask each other, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders, anyone who found where Jesus was, to report it so that they could arrest him. Meanwhile, as Jesus and his disciples leave Jericho and make their way to Jerusalem for the Passover, they travel along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And the group stop at Bethany for a couple of days and they dine with Lazarus and with Mary and with Martha, who had prepared dinner for them in Jesus' honor. And during the dinner, Mary anoints Jesus with fragrant oil She wipes her feet with her hair. Judas Iscariot, the dishonest treasurer of the group, uh, berates her with indignant that Mary had wasted this costly perfume. When he proceeds to go further, but Jesus rebukes him, it was intended that she would do this to prepare me for my burial. She's anointed me. You will always have the poor amongst you. You will not always have me. Before leaving Bethany to complete their journey to Jerusalem, Jesus sent out two of his disciples ahead of the traveling party in search of a particular donkey, an unbroken colt, the foal of a donkey. Once the two men found the colt, they were united with the animal, and they brought it to Jesus. If anyone questions their actions, the disciples were instructed to say that Jesus, the Lord, needed the donkey. The disciples did as they were told, brought the colt back to Jesus, threw their cloaks over it, and Jesus rode the colt. Into Jerusalem. By this time the large crowds of Jews who had been in Jerusalem for the festival had discovered that Jesus had been staying with Lazarus and his sister. Anxious to see Jesus, the man who had raised from the dead, the crowd headed to Bethany. But Jesus and disciples met them coming the other way. The crowd engulfed Jesus They spread their cloaks and their palm branches on the ground. They shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. Blessed is the coming King of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Do you know Hosanna means save us? Hosanna means save us. The shouts of praise infuriated the Pharisees who were trying to find a way to catch and kill Jesus. They commanded that Jesus rebuke this boisterous admirers, but Jesus informed the wicked, rebellious leaders, the stones would cry out in praise if I silenced the crowd. So the Pharisees said to another, see, this is getting us nowhere, look, the whole world has gone after him. As Jesus moved further into the city, he wept over Jerusalem. Although the masses that had praised and honored Christ as king, he knew their hearts. He knew that in less than a week, some of the same people who had hailed him king of Israel would cry out, We have no king but Caesar. Some who had been worshiping and crying, Hosanna, would turn upon him. The palm branches are found again in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. It says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude no one could count. It's an image of heaven. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. The palm branches were symbolic of a prophetic utterance of what was to come. Jesus in glory in heaven, Jesus in his victory with all those that had called upon his name and been saved stood in the white robes of Jesus' sacrifice, of Jesus' restoration, of Jesus' restoring, of the removal of their sin, of the dirt, of the filth, of the purity that they're now in in heaven and they are holding those palm branches to celebrate and welcome the king. It's found as this prophetic image jumping forward. At the same time, there's a prophetic image being fulfilled from the past. This donkey, this lowly animal, this nothing, it's a baby donkey. It's not even a decent sized one. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, but lowly, riding on the donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. When a king arrives on a war horse in his weaponry and his armor and his sword, you know what you're receiving, right? You're receiving a war. When two kings approached each other, it symbolized the attitude of what was about to happen. But if one king approached another riding a donkey... It was actually a diplomatic thing to say, I'm coming in peace. I'm not coming prepared to battle you. I'm coming in a place of repentance. I'm coming in a place of acceptance. I'm coming as a brother. I'm coming to receive you as you receive me. If I got on my war horse or on my war chariot, it would be a different story. That's not how I'm coming to you. And Jesus arrives as the king of peace. He arrives as the king who is the servant king. He arrives as the lamb that knows he's about to be slain. And sacrificially, he arrives in a place of peace. And not just a donkey, a baby donkey. (laughs) Like, you can't get any smaller. Like, it's a colt. It's the foal of a donkey. How that animal bore the burden, I don't know. But that's what Jesus did to make it really, really clear. Yet again, in Revelation, how do we see Jesus? What's he riding? A horse, clothed in white, with names written all over his body, arriving as the victorious king. Now he's on his war horse. Now he brings the throngs of heaven with him. Now he's showing the restoration of all things. Now, because now is the time. There are times and there are seasons, aren't there, with Jesus? There are times and seasons in what God does. There's this moment of the colt, there's this moment of the donkey, and there's another picture in revelation of what's to come, of him riding on a horse, riding on that stallion, riding on that beast, of victory and war, that beast of strength and authority. And Jesus comes for a different kingdom. Jesus says in John 18, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent this happening to me. Like they could stop it, my, my disciples, all these people that are celebrating me, they could stop this from happening, what you're about to do, they could stop it. The angels could come, they could stop it. This could all stop in an instant, but this isn't the kingdom I'm fighting for. The kingdom I'm fighting for is not here. My servants have fighting to prevent my arrest, but now my kingdom is from another place. What is that other place that Jesus is talking about? Where does he really want to be king of? A land? A city? Maybe a country? Maybe this planet? Maybe the universe? But is it really that he wants to be king of a heart? Is that the kingdom that they couldn't see? Is that what he was coming for? I'm coming for a kingdom of hearts. I'm coming for a kingdom of my people. I'm coming that I may dwell with them and they with me. That's what I'm coming for. That's what I'm building. I'm building my kingdom, and my kingdom is my people. My kingdom is always those made in my image, always the people that I made, that I love, that I desire. That's my kingdom. That's what I'm about. You can't see it. But I'm building it. I already have it in heaven and I'm building it on earth. I'm restoring it and bringing it back. Anyone know in this building where the cornerstone is? We have a cornerstone. It's engraved. Anyone? Anyone seen it? Where is it, James? Back corner? Yep, it is. On the outside, on that corner over there, is the cornerstone to this building. Every brick that this building is made out of, ultimately, all that weight and strength. We have these ceremonial cornerstones, don't we? Because the weight comes down into the corner of a building. That's sort of, you know, any of the uh, architects amongst us or engineers, Jamie, might appreciate that one. All the weight comes down onto the walls of the building. The roof spreads, draws the weight down. And symbolically, we have this cornerstone. You've walked past it a dozen times. You've stood in this building maybe a hundred times, a thousand times. You may not even remember it's there. What's the cornerstone of our faith? What is it that Jesus is when he calls himself the cornerstone of the building? It's love because that's what he's after. It's love because that's who he is. God is love. He came for hearts. That's where his kingdom is. He came for your love. You know, one of the toughest questions I think Jesus ever asked, when Jesus says, do you love me, right? That's uh, such a painful, tough question to receive, but it was so valuable. And this morning, the thing that I actually turned up with and was a little bit fearful about saying was that I felt Jesus wanted to say, do you love me? Not as a condemnation, hear me church family, not as a condemnation, but just simply as a question, because it's good to check on those cornerstones. Now and then we need to double check and review again the cornerstones of our lives, don't we? Do I love Jesus? Do I love Jesus? Do I love him? Let's ponder that question, let's consider it. How do I show that? How would I know? What, what, what changes in me that I know that I love Him? What is it that happens? So I've got a piece of Scripture for you. It's this: Jesus said, "Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. They will come. We will come and make a home with them." There's an absolute promise that if you love me, you'll obey my teachings, and I will come with my Father with my spirit and I will make my home with you because that's my kingdom. That's where my kingdom wants to be, with you. That's where I'm building it, with you. That's where it wants to be, yeah? Doesn't matter if it's the land, doesn't matter if it's the sky, doesn't matter if it's the seas. My kingdom is with you. That's where I'm building it. That's where it matters and that's where it grows. Our love for God, that I love God all my heart, my mind, all my soul, all my strength and that I love my neighbor as myself, just as much, that I am just in the same way. Jesus said, they're like each other. It's about this love. This love is where the kingdom is expanded. This love is where the kingdom is revealed. His love in you and the revelation of that love in you is that it calls you to action. It calls you to change. It calls you to obey. Not because you have to, but out of duty, not out of guilt, not out of responsibility, but out of choice. So, church, you know you. I don't know you. I don't know you. You know you. Jesus knows you. Do you love him? What are your actions like each day? What are your thoughts like? This isn't about sin. This isn't that we all fail and we fall. But underlying all of the nonsense, all of the messy bits, do you love him? Do you love him? Are you listening? Are you responding when he asks of you do you love him do you love him have you made changes do you love him when he reveals something through his spirit in your heart do you go yeah all right yeah okay yeah i'll do it yeah no i know yeah okay god come on let's go together yeah ah oh, i've just read this thing in your word and it just reminds me I need to connect with my family, I need to connect with my friends, I need to forgive my brother, I need to apologize for my attitude, I need to do something, every time you do that, you love him, you love him, you love him, you build that love in him, every time you care for somebody who doesn't care for you, you love him, every time you give to someone who can't give back, you love him, you love him, every time you stop and take time out of your busyness to be about his business, you love him. Yeah, church, you love him, and it's revealed. Everyone who believes, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 to 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who loves the Father is a child as well. This is how we know that we love as the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God, comes from the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes in Jesus as the Son of God. Who is it who overcomes the world? Only the ones who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Why? Because the world does everything to not love. It does everything for self. It does everything for its own, for its, what it's about. And this is the upside-down kingdom. Turn it on its head. Give love, sacrifice others before yourself, God is the most greatest thing that you've got in your existence, he is everything we're about, everything we're about is not about me, everything else is about me, this is not about me, this is not about who I am, this is not about what I can and can't do, this is about him and who he is, and that I follow him and I obey him and I adore him, and I love him, amen, that's the kingdom he's building, church family, that's the kingdom this morning, That's the kingdom. I just want us to take a moment to pause and pray. It's not a condemnation this morning. It's a recognition again. It's reminding of that cornerstone. It's a pillar of who we are as Christians, right? We love Jesus. We love Jesus. Do you love him? Ask yourself this question. I've got a few. Think about what you do and why you do it. Do you respond with a yes Do you recognize the love in your heart for Jesus? Does it change your behavior, where you lead, where you're going? Do you know God loves you? Do you know that he gave his son to die for you? Even while you were a stranger and an enemy, can you recognize how much you are loved, how much you are worth, how much you are wanted? Jesus cries over you. When he cried over Jerusalem, it was a brokenheartedness for the lost. That was what it was about. It wasn't the city. It was about what it represented. It was the people. It was the community. It was the family. It was the ones that in time would reject him. I think he cried over an eternity of people that were going to reject him in that moment. I think that's what he was broken for. He was about to do the greatest love, sacrificial love thing ever. That's next Sunday the cross, to die for somebody else, greatest act of love, to die for your friends, to die for someone else, greatest thing you can do, to give it all for someone else, and in this moment, he had tears, he has tears sometimes for us, as he thinks about us, because he is so passionate about us, he is so in love with us, he is so overwhelmed and drawn to us, what does the Bible say, draw close to God, and he will draw close to you. So let's fall in love with him. Let's remind ourselves of our love for him. And as we do, what happens? It's an automatic reaction. It draws him in. It draws him in. Love on him. You're thinking, oh, God feels far away. Just have a double check. God feels distant. Where you at? Where you at? Jesus, this morning I just restore my love to you. Jesus, I recognize my love to you. Jesus, I thank you that you have built in me a love for you through your word, through your people, through revelation, through answered prayer, through experience, through knowledge, through times and seasons where I've seen you work in my life and I've understood you better. We don't love stranger, do we? We love somebody we know and we fall in love with Jesus the more that we know him, the more that we walk with him, the more that we work it out. Let's pray. Father, we've just had the most amazing time of worship, Lord, and Holy Spirit, you are here and you are amongst us and you are loving this. Father oh You love your people. You love to draw close to them as we draw close to you. And we recognize that's a promise. It's a promise of who you are. And Lord, we also just, we do a, a foundation stone heart check this morning. Jesus, again, we say we love you. We choose to be obedient to your commands in our lives because we love you. We choose to recognize that you died for our salvation because you love us. We choose to recognize, Father God, that you love us greater and more deeply and more passionately than we can really fully ever understand. And Father God, we recognize that there is a call for us to love you with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And this morning we remind ourselves of that as a cornerstone of who we are. We want to love every person we meet, every person we read about, every person we watch, every person we disagree with, every person that has hurt us, every person who doesn't love us back because you loved us first. Jesus, we love you. And we look to the cross this Easter as we carry our crosses willingly. It's not burdensome, it's not difficult, it's light because you are in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.